You're listening to the Deal Farm Podcast with Ken Corsini. Educating, inspiring, and connecting you to real estate deals. And now, your host, Ken Corsini. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with The Deal Farm on today's Best Deal Ever episode. I am joined by Tyler Sheff. Tyler's actually the founder of CashflowGuys.com. He actually also runs the podcast, The Cashflow Guys. He's a licensed real estate problem solver, educator, investor. He's a syndicator. He's actually been involved in real estate for over 16 years, but nowadays he maintains 100% focus on investing for cash flow and helping others do the same. I'm really excited to have him on the show. So, Tyler, welcome to the show. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Man, glad to have you on. You know, I always love talking about kind of the long-term buy and hold. You know, a lot of times we get stuck talking about fixing and flipping and what's sexy about real estate investing. But to me, there's something to be said about just buying properties for cash flow and holding on it. And that's sort of your specialty, right? I mean, you are one of the cash flow guys. Absolutely. That is exactly what I do. And uh... Yeah, you're right. It's about as exciting as watching paint dry, but uh, I got to tell you, it's highly lucrative. Yeah, you know, the paint dries, but you're making money at the same time, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so uh, tell us how you got started. I know you're in the Tampa market. How did you I find am. yourself in real estate? Well, for me, I started, I started, I got my real estate license. I grew up, my mom was a realtor, so I grew up uh, in that, the realtor lifestyle of the 70s, so to speak. And in the uh, in year 2000, I went out and got my real estate license, realized I didn't really like selling houses for other people that wasn't fun. It wasn't exciting. I was in my twenties. So, you know, what's the big deal. Mm-hmm. And I got into flipping houses. And back then that was before, I guess these days, you know, they, they wholesale by assigning a contract and all that. And nobody bothered to tell me that. And I didn't recall hearing of any guru boot camps. And if there was any, I couldn't afford to attend them anyway. <laughs> so I was a guy that would buy a house. And I guess now the word for it is wholetailing. I would buy a house. I would, I would maybe paint it a different color and mow the grass and add 30 grand to the price and sell it the following day. I did a lot of that. Wow. And that was in Florida where it was probably easier to do that sort of thing there too. Exactly. Exactly. And that's back when the market was appreciating 25% per year. Right. That was, you know, right. obviously false appreciation. So I did really well in that game. And what, but what I discovered is I spent a lot of time actually doing the work. I was not good at building systems. I didn't have people like you can, that could come in and do all the work for me. I could just buy the finished product. And honestly, I wasn't at the time convinced I wanted to be a landlord, to be honest with you. It was, well, that didn't sound exciting. Mm-hmm. So I had a, one deal go horribly wrong. Uh, one partner took off to another country, took off with a quarter million dollars, of, actually, which all of our company proceeds from the previous <laughs> clips we'd done. Found out that it would basically cost us about what he took to pursue him across borders. And we decided to just write it off, dump that house. And took a uh, and then sold off the rest of my portfolio over time. I had I was greedy and I still am. Obviously, I like to, I, I think greed is good. Frankly, I'm a capitalist by by trade. <laughs> <laughs> I became an accidental landlord because the property values were going up so high back then, and this is like 0405 that 25 percent per year appreciation. It was simple math. Said, okay, I buy this house, I fix it up. This year it's worth 100. Next year it's worth 125. Yeah. So. I think I should put somebody in here to pay the bills in the meantime, and then next year I'll sell it and make more money. Well, back then, too, you could get a loan with a heartbeat, right? It didn't take much. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
I had no problem attracting capital. And that's exactly what I did. So I, I built up a nice little portfolio of properties and then I sold them all um, before the crash. So I was not a victim of the crash, so to speak. But you see, Ken, I thought I was pretty charming back then. <laughs> and I didn't think that the title companies would actually send the, the closing statement information to the IRS. And I may have left a few houses off my tax return. Oh, no. I got a really large bill from the IRS. <laughs> oh, no. So that got me out of real estate for the short term. And how convenient the market crashed shortly thereafter. So I guess it was uh, <laughs> it was meant to be. Right. So honestly, I had to go, I had to pay that tax bill. And I went and got a job working for the federal government on ships as a merchant mariner. I worked for uh, the National Weather Service on ships. And basically because they paid me so much, I could pay that IRS debt off which I did in short order. Here's the problem, though. Now I'm a W-2 employee making a six-figure paycheck. Wow, yeah. So the government is helping themselves to a very large piece of that. Sure. And then I'm, now I'm back to square one. How? Okay, so now how do I legally reduce my tax obligation? And I researched, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad again, and the first time was 10 years or a few years prior when I got to Chapter 1, decided that I wasn't ready to hear the information. I put the book down, unfortunately, never picked it back up until several years later, hmm. came down to the point of I need to get my taxes in order. I, I can't be paying this kind of tax. I mean, most of my friends, this is what they make every year, and I'm paying that in taxes. This is crazy. So it, the, the common denominator was, it's real simple, Tyler. Just buy real estate and hang on to it, for God's sake. Quit trying to sell it. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Just buy it and take advantage of passive income losses, depreciation, all these different things. And I'm not a CPA. I won't, I won't dive into the weeds in that, but... Uh, once I learned that I could just simply hang on to it, well, that was simple. That, that's not rocket science. And that's exactly what I did. But a problem I found, Ken, is that there are people out there that would be more than happy to charge me fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars to learn how to buy a fifty thousand dollar house. <laughs> this is true. When I could go to the real estate guys radio podcast, one of my favorite shows besides yours, listen to a commercial, meet somebody like yourself that already does it. You've already done all the work. You've done the homework. It's like, I wish I would have realized that many years ago. Yeah. So I wasn't willing to pay somebody six figures to learn how to flip real estate. I had to do it, learn how to do it on my own. And I learned quickly that for me, you know, multifamily could help me scale. Uh, single family is a great place to start. And then I decided I wanted to scale. So I got into the multifamily aspect of of real estate investing and uh, kind of the rest is history from there. Interesting. So you basically had to start over and in starting over, you sort of changed your mindset from flipping houses to let's just buy and hold and start accumulating some wealth. Exactly. Exactly. I was, I learned the difference between piles and streams and I listened to another podcast uh, called Cashflow Diary and in his, in Jay Massey talks about the difference between piles and streams. And I, was, I used to be a pile guy. I wanted piles of cash. I thought that was impressive. Having a big bank balance, that was exciting. Hmm. And then I realized that was foolish. Uh, instead, I should be more focused on predictable streams of income, piles of, or uh, streams of cash coming in every month. Interesting. Once I, like I got that, that concept, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, so I go out and buy a house. And let's say I put 10 grand down. I'd say I have $100,000 cash. In there. That allows me to buy 10 houses, let's say, uh, or even five houses. Now I've got five different streams of income coming in. Income that is tax preferred. In other words, the government likes the fact that I'm doing what they told me to do is to provide housing. Mm -hmm. That's what the IRS wants. Mm -hmm. 
once I started listening to some of the thought leaders out there and realizing that as long as I invest the way the government wants me to invest, oil and gas, well, I'm not smart enough for that, but single-family homes and, and, and multifamily product, it's not rocket science. I can go to, I can just simply pick one off the shelf, do a good job of managing the property, which really comes down to finding the right people to manage it, and then hang on to it, and I can just build wealth exponentially. Sure. So what did that look like for you? You started with single family in your market in Tampa, and then- Yeah, I did, and I, I was the accident landlord. I did well, so I got completely outsold everything, and then I was I literally was at sea. I, my wife and I decided we wanted to buy an investment property. We found a little duplex. This multifamily thing kind of happened by accident. We were renting a little duplex right on the ocean, uh, one side of a duplex. We loved it. It was a little one-bedroom, gorgeous little place. 800 bucks a month living on the ocean. Nice. Can't beat it. Holy cow. Yeah. And ironically, it's a place that it was, she grew up next door. The, her best friend from high school grew up next door. So Jill's seen this property for years and years and years and always wanted to live there. So long story short, the guy decided he was going to sell it one day and we negotiated a price. I believe it was around 250,000 to, to buy this, this duplex. And it, to us, it made sense at the time. That was like our first experience in multifamily is like, well, we'll just, we'll buy this and whatever we collect on the other side. Great. But we can afford to live here even if we didn't rent the other side. Mm -hmm. So we weren't really thinking of it so much as an investment. We were thinking of it more of, we really like living on the ocean. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is really cool. So we went to go, we went under contract to go buy it. I flew home. We had, I got my VA mortgage all set up and got home and the, and the landlord changed his mind. He decided that even though we were in contract, that he had sold it to somebody else and also had a contract for 300,000. Oh, geez. So when I went to the attorney's office, on his attorney on Saturday morning to sign the what I thought was closing paperwork, uh, it turned out I was signing a uh, a notice that I was we were being basically they were terminating our tenancy and we had to move. Oh, geez. Yeah. So and of course this guy just he was a coward. So he was over on the other coast of Florida. He didn't even have the audacity or the the the, the, the strength to pick up the phone and warn us of this happening. So. We now had to find a place to live pretty quick. I'm already approved for a VA mortgage. We've already gone through the underwriting process. It's just a train wreck, right? And we're in our town, and we're trying we're trying to find a place to rent. It's like it's really difficult to find a good place to rent. Uh, where we live, there's just no availability. Hmm. So we started talking about it, and we had found a three-bedroom, two-bath house, literally two blocks from where I am now. Gorgeous little house. Um, put some offers in. We couldn't we couldn't get our offers accepted. We kept getting outbid and uh, looking for an apartment to, to live in temporarily. We found a, the place we're in now, but it was for rent. And when I called the landlord that turned out to be the owner, it was also for sale. Nice. So I had some conversations with the seller who happened to be a, a listing agent. She's a broker and we were able to strike a deal and I was able to buy this property with literally none of my own money. And that includes closing costs. It was a hundred percent funded from other resources and I didn't have to put one penny into this place. So it just seemed natural. And then from there I just got the bug and it just kind of went crazy from there. Just curious, how were you able to put together a hundred percent financing on your, was it just a, like a conventional loan that was a hundred percent? It was the VA mortgage and the VA will loan on up to four units. So I did a VA mortgage initially, but now I've still got the closing costs and I know from being a realtor in the, in the, in the past, there's a huge, amount of profit built into closing costs from title companies. I mean, it's all profit. Sure. So I was able to negotiate 
pretty well to get most of the closing costs eliminated. I got the seller to pick up a portion of the closing costs. And then a good friend of mine who was a realtor, I had him represent me, quote unquote, represent me on paper. So I was able to get a credit back for his a portion of his real estate commission that covered the rest of the closing costs because I didn't, he didn't need to do anything. I was already in the process of renewing my real estate license anyway. Gotcha. So, so all those things put together and then of course lender credits and things like that, I was able to walk out of closing with a check for 1700 bucks because I used, uh, I was entitled to the advance rents and security deposits. So I actually got a check for 1700 bucks to buy this. Oh place. my gosh. That's awesome. How many units was the place? It's a four unit. It's a four unit. You and know, I think a lot I of, I don't know if everybody realizes that, that VA would, will lend to you on up to a four unit. That's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they'll still do that. Still do that today. They would still do that today. FHA will also loan on four units, and you can even get a one percent down conventional loan in some markets. In Florida, you can do that now. Really? With yeah, well, yeah. with some sort of PMI, I guess one percent down conventional. Yeah, exactly. That's a little scary because I remember two thousand six, two thousand seven, <laughs> when, right. when it started getting real easy to get loans. That's right. Uh, well, here's the thing, Ken. You know, and, and I would agree with you in most cases, except. When the appraisal process came, they did do they did a double appraisal. They did both comparable sales and income method. Hmm. Okay. Um, so so they put more weight on the income method than they did on the comparable sales, which oh, is good because that's going to give you a true clear picture of, of where things stand. Right. Right. And we're just killing it on this unit. I mean, four units were clearing about five grand a month, and all said and done. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Oh, was, I know. Was that partly a function of just the timing of when you bought it? It is. We've got. So we we bought it, we bought it for two, ten I believe it was, and it needed a lot of work. But it was built in the '80s, so we did the renovations about forty grand. So let's say we're in it for two fifty, but uh, I got real good money on it. I think it was four percent is what our mortgage rate was. Yep. And then we now two of the two out of the four units are short term rental. Oh, interesting. So they bring in between a hundred between a hundred to a hundred and fifty, depending on availability per night. And we keep pretty busy, keep pretty full. So that's a huge difference in our rent. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now, are you using? Are you doing Airbnb? How are you doing that? I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm using a combination of Airbnb. I use, um, uh, oh, sorry, VRBO, Vacation Rental by Owner. Yep. And uh, Home Away and all those different websites. And yeah, we've started doing that, and it's been awesome. Which that obviously pays for renovations. And since my wife and I live here, we like to live in a nice place. Yeah, that is killer, man. It's, so it's like resort style and. <laughs> Yeah. yeah Wait, no. You're, are you still in the unit, or you're not there anymore? You know, it's, they're we, all rented. We do. We occupy one of the of the four units. Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah, we stay here because really we haven't found a place more beautiful than this that's free. Yeah. Sure. You know, we get paid to live here, and if we we would obviously we could move out here and and probably make another two grand a month, twenty five hundred dollars a month, which we could go somewhere else for free, but. We do love living here, I gotta say. So it just hasn't motivated us to move yet. Man, that's worked out well. Jeez, you love where you live, and you're making money on three other units. Exactly. That's pretty phenomenal. So, so that sort of launched you. Then, what have you been doing since then? Since then, I've spent a lot of time. My biggest pet peeve was, as I said earlier, was trying to. The education piece was was a challenge. It was very difficult to find good quality education that made sense. And I thought, well, none of the, none of the stuff that we do is really rocket science. Mm-hmm. And it really shouldn't be, it shouldn't cost $100,000 to learn how to buy a $50,000 house. That's ridiculous. All right. So I'm, I'm fortunate in the Tampa Bay market to have some of the best real estate educators around in this area. What is it about Tampa? I mean, everybody's I in know. Tampa. It's crazy. I, 
guess they all the old people come here to retire or whatever, but I've got like Pete Fortunato, I've got Larry Harbold, I've got all these, you know, John Schaub, I've got all these great and influential yeah. investors that all are right here. So I decided, I, I reached out to Larry Harbold was the first one. I said, Larry, I want to take your stuff online. I'd like to help you market your, your course and we can both make a living and we can provide value to the investing community because the most expensive course he has is 1900 bucks. Wow. And it's, it's like, it would take you a whole year to finish the course. It's crazy. So we started doing that. So now we've got more people doing more deals because we're not, they're not spending the money they'd be putting into a house on education. Right. Right. Which launched my podcast because I wanted to be able to speak to people and say, Hey guys, this isn't as hard as it is, as you may think. It's learning how to review a deal. You know, uh, like when you do your turnkey thing, you provide them a, a perspective of what the property's renting for and, and this type of thing. Teaching them how to read that and stuff like that. Uh, keeping it really, really simple so that more people can do like what we've done. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, have you, as a result of kind of putting the education out there, have you been able to partner with uh, with students or is it more, or have you been able to sell to students? What has that kind of done for you? We've taken... We use the education. Obviously, an educated buyer is, is is our ultimate target because we it makes it easy to provide them value. Right. So when we're selling, so we are realtors. My wife and I and my other two partners are realtors. So when we educate them, and it becomes natural that they they view us as the expert, as we are the experts in our marketplace as far as cash flow assets, they come to us to purchase their cash flowing properties. Uh, so that pays off very well. You know, we can provide a ton of value on the front end with the education and then that entitles us to earn our fee on the back end and in a lot of cases we're able to partner with them on deals uh, we'll come in and we'll we'll pledge our commission uh, in exchange for maybe an equity piece or something like that in the property oh, very cool want to do that yeah so we like to be creative to you know kind of help people help themselves and i'm pretty proud to say that we're starting to build a tribe of people that we're getting out of the rat race that literally don't need their jobs anymore which is pretty cool that's very cool I remember the first investor that we had in Atlanta came in and bought like 17 properties right out of the gates and he, he quit his job and he was st- yeah. started living off the income. It was phenomenal. And the dude was like 52, 53. He wasn't even that old. He was basically cashing out, creating his, his income going forward. He travels all the time. I mean, it's phenomenal to see somebody do that to actually unplug. Yeah. For us, it was, um, I, when I really dove in, we nailed our first 26 units in, and I don't really get into my unit counts anymore for asset protection purposes, but we did our first 26 doors in uh, 11 months. Wow. And that, and that put us out of the rat race right away. And really the difference was I just did the work. Yeah. My wife was working full time. I basically, I walked out of my government, I quit my government job. I gave him notice and I quit. I walked out of a six figure job and we were living a six-figure lifestyle, don't get me wrong. <laughs> so it's not like I had a couple hundred grand sitting in the bank. I did not. And I learned how to raise capital and how to, how to bring value. And it sounds cheesy, but it's real. It's, it's, it's real. You bring value to the marketplace, it will return it to you. Yes, absolutely. So next thing you know, I'm teaching people, and they're like, well, dude, come with us on this deal. You know what you're talking about. And because you've done the work, I'm like, yes, I have. So come with us. I'm helping people get their deals bought because they leverage my experience, and they bring me in on the deals. So it's worked out quite well. And now we've built a nice portfolio and we don't have to work. But we do because I truly am at a point in my life where I absolutely love what I do. Yeah. Well, helping people. See, you see oh. you see what you're doing for them. It's fulfilling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We can, people, people call on the phone. I get letters and, you know, people calling and they're, they're in tears and grown men in tears. We've changed their life and 
got them out of the job they hated, and now they can spend time with their kids or their grandkids, and that's just awesome. You can't put a dollar figure. No doubt. So what? So nowadays, you're how are you sourcing deals for for clients and for members and whatnot? Primarily the old school relationship way, which I know is not what people want to hear. They always roll their eyes and go, "Oh God." <laughs> I mean, you mean there's not a fancy sales letter that you use that works every time? No, unfortunately, there's not. So we do do targeted Facebook ads to find people that have problems uh, that their real estate could fix. Mm-hmm. In other words, we've realized that it's not always the real estate that's the problem. There's other problems that cause people to be in a situation. Mm-hmm. So targeted Facebook ads have done quite well for us. And when I mean targeted, I nail them down to a subdivision, to a zip code. Wow. We'll just pummel a zip code so that every time you go on Facebook, and if you've ever used your Visa debit card at after 11 o'clock at night or some other creepy thing that we come up with mm-hmm. that you're going to see our ad over and over again. And that helps us uh, retrieve a lot of a lot of opportunity. Eviction court is another big one. I, I, we're always paying attention to who's doing a bad job of managing their assets. Yep. And fortunately for us, there are lots of those around in our market. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can imagine. So that, that presents opportunity. And uh, that's the biggest ways that we get our, our business right away. We're not huge on direct mail nothing wrong with it it's just we don't do a lot of well it's funny because uh you know direct mail so many people are doing it now that it's such a saturated market that you're having to find other ways to acquire deals that's why for me it's always interesting to hear how people in different markets are sourcing deals yeah um or so with facebook are you creating a kind of a custom list outside of facebook and then bringing it into facebook and targeting them or you are you doing it kind of within the, the facebook tool I've done a combination of both. I'm, I'm split testing the two, and, and what's ironic is they're both equally effective. Interesting. Almost to the to the letter. It's weird because I thought that if I took a lookalike audience or created a lookalike audience on Facebook, which for those of you that don't understand what I'm talking about, if you have an existing database of people, name, email address, whatever, that follow a certain parameter, let's say people that, are on pub, that have gotten public assistance in the last year or whatever, you upload that into Facebook, it, Facebook will create an audience of people like that that fit those criteria. Mm-hmm. That's the lookalike piece. And then the other way you can do it is to uh, to build the audience organically from within Facebook by running, maybe doing a giveaway of some information, people that opt in. Now you can market to them and people like them, all that. The, the, the stats are almost identical. Interesting. Well, on Facebook, yeah. I mean, most people are smart enough to realize Facebook, every time you like something or join a group it's collecting all sorts of data on you oh yes that's then being used to market to you and they do a pretty good job of segmenting you and you know breaking down who you are it is a little (laughs) creepy right it is it is i've got uh active campaign which is does takes it to the next level it really breaks things down and and there's all kinds of different reports you can pull and it's like wow i should not know that information i'm not entitled to that (laughs) right we think we're just posting pictures of the food we ate and pictures of our kids and everybody's happy but little do we know it all they're really doing is collecting data on us to turn around and and use for marketing purposes exactly exactly but that's cool that you've integrated that into your business now as a real estate agent how about the mls are you finding many deals especially like multifamily on the mls right now in florida I do. You know, ironically, I find some of the best deals on the MLS. Yeah. Because most people, even my dear friend Larry Harbold, who's been an educator in real estate for almost 40 years, he'll flat out say there are no good deals in the MLS. He (laughs) now says, after he's seen me prove him wrong a hundred times, he now says there are no good deals on the MLS as written. And it's like, well, there's no good advertised deals as written either. I mean, nobody advertises what the least they'll take. You know, it's true. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) 
it's always peel them off the ceiling and whatever you can get. So the MLS is, is unique because if you know if you're able to build a relationship and get to the listing agent and go with the listing agent to get to the seller, then you can you can accomplish a lot off the MLS. A lot. So how, most, what are you doing then right now? Are you are you are you just looking for in, in lowballing or are you looking for the deals as soon as they hit? Kind of what's your strategy for MLS? I usually wait. I don't touch anything for seven days because in the first seven days there's a frenzy. Everybody's writing offers. Every everybody that just got out of guru boot camp is writing offers and for, with money they don't have and all this I'm letting all that nonsense get over with. Yep. And then when the dust settles and especially after I've seen it go under contract and then the contract falls apart again, it's back active again. That's when I'll go in. And usually it begins with reaching out to the listing agent, uh, having a conversation with them, and seeing if I can get them out to a cup of coffee. Hmm. And try to get an idea of how they priced the property. And keeping in mind, I focus on multifamily only. And, but the same method would apply if it's, if it's a single-family home that's already a rental property. With the multifamily, if they tell me they've used comps to price the property, I automatically know that the pricing is, is way off. Hmm. Without even doing any math, I can tell you the math is way off. Yep. Because comparable sales is just not an accurate way to value property. Right. So then I'll spend some time investing in the relationship. I'll, I'll go have coffee with them and talk to them. And, and I'm pretty well known in my market. And people come to me as the person that teaches other agents how to price property. So in most cases, the agents are very receptive to guidance. And I can, be, I can tell them with good authority that I can almost guarantee that we can buy this property and I can make you look like a rock star to your seller. Win-win. When they price it correctly. <laughs> when they price it correctly or we get the proper terms. And in some cases, I can let the agent keep the entire commission. Oh, that's So, awesome. hey, Mr. Listing Agent, you, you got 6% commission on this. I can work it out till you keep the whole 6%. Oh, that's that's incentivizing them big time. And then I collect my piece from my buyers, but my buyers see huge value from what I do. So my buyers could care less about paying my fee. They're like, that's just, we're we're good with that, man. Nobody's ever said, I'm not paying you. Right, right. That's never been a problem. So everybody wins. You see what I'm saying? So what are you, what are you typically looking for then in a multifamily? I'm assuming you're just basing it on a cap rate? Um, I don't use cap because it doesn't allow for debt service and for repairs. Okay. What I'm looking for is problems, problems we can solve. I know value add is the catchy thing, catchphrase today. Everybody's doing value add opportunities. Yep. Um, we are too, but we're looking for the stuff that's not as obvious. In other words, we're not going to necessarily look to go in and do $100,000 worth of rehab on four units. Right. Uh, we're going to look for more of, well, is this something that is in a great location? It's just poorly managed. Like the landscaping is terrible and the, and the, the tenants don't care. And we can maybe change the tenants and change the entire perspective of the property. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Wheelwright, from a, one of the Rich Dad Advisors, says it best. He says, you know, you want to change your tax, change your facts. <laughs> That's good. And, and it's true. You simply, I've, we've changed tenants. I love properties that are, don't have leases, and we can change tenants and make a huge difference. Yeah. And part of that's property management, so I'm assuming you have probably pretty good property management set up in Tampa. We do. My team initially does it early on in the early stages just to stabilize the property. Okay. After that, we transfer it over to the management, which I got to admit, trying to find good management has been a challenge in all markets. I've, I'm in two markets. I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, and here in Tampa. And we've got it nailed down good in Tennessee, but here we're, it, it's, it's a challenge sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and the thing is, that's the linchpin to it is. If these, these rentals, man, is having good property management in place. It is. Absolutely. 
Interesting. So now you've been at this for a while. Uh, is there one deal in particular that stands out as your best deal ever? You know, I'm going to have to say the fourplex, this first multifamily deal I did was an absolute home run. And Ken, it's ruined me ever since then. <laughs> My wife has to smack me in the head and say, write the offer, write the offer, write the offer, because I compare everything to this. Yeah. Well, what year was that that you bought that? That was 2014. Oh, really? So it was actually kind of after some recovery had happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was at 2014, and um, it's just been an absolute home run. It's like this thing is gold-plated or something. I... <laughs> now, how did you find that deal? Uh, literally, I drove by, saw for rent sign, didn't realize it was for sale until I talked to the owner about renting it short-term, and she happened to mention, well, it's on the MLS, it's for sale. Man, so it was sitting on the MLS, and nobody was biting on it for whatever reason. For an entire year, it sat on the MLS. Oh my gosh, that's crazy! 300, 356 days on the MLS. So, what do you think was the deal? Why wasn't people? Why wasn't anybody picking it up? Uh, probably price. I mean, it was in poor condition. It had problems, and people don't like to fix problems. People, you know, in the small multifamily space, you've got people that aren't very savvy, and they're. Uh, it looked nasty. I mean, the yard was like a sand pit, and it was painted pumpkin orange with brown trim, and ugh, terrible. <laughs> so, how much but, money did you have to put in it? I put about 45000 in all, all said and done. Okay. Were you able to finance any of that? Uh, 100% of it, actually. What I did was I was oh, I was wholesaling. Well, I had let my license expire, my real estate license, while I was at sea. So I was in the process of renewing my license, and I was wholesaling. So on the short term, I used the credit card to finance the rehab. Mm-hmm. And then I made enough money wholesaling to pay it all back. In about uh, 75 days, I paid it all back. Gotcha. Gotcha. Nice. Uh, yeah. So you were all so you, you paid how much for it? Two fifty, all in including rehab. Yeah, I paid okay. two ten or two fifteen for it and spent forty five. And how much does each side bring in? I, well, I guess that you've got one side. You get the long term, and then the two of them are Airbnb. You said, correct. I live in my wife and I live in one, so that's a big fat goose egg. And then uh, we rent the one for nine hundred a month, okay. and then the other two are bringing in three thousand a piece. Gally, are you tempted to kick out the guy that's at nine hundred a month? You know, I go through that every week. That's where I struggle with that. But, but then I think to myself, she's a very consistent, loyal tenant. And like recently, my wife and I are in Belize doing a little bit of property scouting. Uh-huh. And she kind of kind of manages the thing for me while we're gone. So it's uh, like, well. value there, yeah. Yeah, she's paying me 900 bucks a month to manage my property while I'm out of town. I kind of like that. Interesting. Now, let me ask you about the Airbnb because it's funny. I've got a house right now that I'm really strongly considering converting to an Airbnb. Primarily because it just won't sell, but it's in really, really right. good location. Right. Um, what's that? Is that is that brain damage? How's that been for you guys? It's it's challenging. I, I'm in the process of a, I'm taking a mastermind right now on it. It's it's intense. If you think that Airbnb is going to have your toes in the sand and, and your feet up uh, while you're doing while you're making millions, you know, wrong. Yeah. You're a big believer in teams. I know because you do a lot of rehab work and all that. It, it takes it's very labor intensive. So they're. The people are very needy. Uh, if you think tenants are bad, don't get into Airbnb if that's the case. Yeah, really. You'd be amazed how picky somebody would be for 24 hours of use versus 30 days. Really? Interesting. But, um, if the systems are in place, which is something I'm working through right now, admittedly, I just came through a month of vacancy because I was so busy in my other business in, in cash flow, guys. I ignored the vacation rental a little bit, and it suffered in the vacancy number. Okay. So I went I went three weeks with no nobody in there. My fault. I was in Belize. I wasn't I was goofing off, not doing my thing. That's my downside of it. So as soon as I figure out systems, I'm sure it'll be 
consistently wildly profitable. But at the time, right now, it does take a lot of my time. So are you, is there effort then being put in for advertising if you're not focusing yeah. on it? So what does that look like other than just putting it in Airbnb and VRBO? What I've learned is that you can't rely on just those sites. If you do, you're going to be facing some vacancies. Okay. Uh, unless you happen to be the only guy in town, which I am not, then you're going to have to do some ancillary work, you know, putting it out on Facebook, putting it through Craigslist and things like that Interesting. to get the business going. Okay. Because it's it's like anything else. You know, it, it, everything works as far as marketing until you stop doing it. The minute you stop doing it, you're going to fall flat on your face. So Craigslist and Facebook to kind of support and prop up even Airbnb and VRBO helps. Correct. And what I, I've been doing that I've found works pretty well, which is rather labor-intensive, though, is I'm using Craigslist in other markets where it snows because I'm in Florida and it's gorgeous yeah. here. Oh, that's smart. And I put pictures and in, in ads up on Facebook like in Buffalo, New York or Chicago. Really? And that's working? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I get actually more bookings that way than I do anything else. Interesting. You know, because I have a... I have a beach rental in Florida up on the panhandle that's just okay. like a VRBO type rental. But uh, I've never thought of doing that. It's a really good idea. It's just advertise up north. Yeah, absolutely, because they're always looking for an escape. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, especially come fall, winter. They're, they want to get the heck out of there, man. Oh, yeah. Wait till there's a snowstorm and then put all of your turnkey rentals for sale. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Buffalo Craigslist. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's good. That's super helpful. I, You know, I kind of wondered, though, if you know how much headache Airbnb was going to be. I mean, I know it's especially with short term, like a night here and two nights there and three nights here. But if you can get enough per night, you know, to cover your nut and then some, you know, it could be worthwhile. So I, the biggest challenge is the, uh, the turnovers, yeah. you know, when people be in between tenants and I've been fortunate that I found a really good maid service that they handle it all. Okay. I mean, they come in like they were in last Sunday and I don't have to even think about it. They just naturally come. Yeah. However, they are my single point of failure. So if they drop the ball, the whole thing comes crashing down, which makes me a little nervous. <laughs> well, yeah. If you got like a one day turnover yeah, or a few yeah. hours turnover, then, yeah, then and that's what we do. You're a hundred percent relying on them. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Well, that's so cool. You found that fourplex, whatever, three years ago, still live in it. And yep. that's your Airbnb. I mean, that, and, and the fact that you, and I think that's the big takeaway for a lot of folks is the fact that you can do that hundred percent finance with like a VA or an FHA loan. And they'll, they'll actually fund the other three sides for you that then you can derive income from. That's huge that that's available for people. Absolutely. And yeah, I can't believe more people don't take advantage of it. Yeah, I, mean, it's, I almost never hear it talked about. It's very interesting. Well, Tyler, where can we point guys to? I know you have a podcast. Where, If somebody was interested in learning more or working with you, where could we, we point them to? Everything that we have is on our website, our podcast, our video channel, the whole nine yards, uh, cashflowguys.com. That's cashflow and then guys.com. And uh, you can just click the start here and that you can reach out to me. You can reach us by text message. You can uh, watch our videos. We've got a, we're starting a weekly Q&A show, a video Q&A show. will be streaming live on our website. That'll be coming up here soon. Awesome. So that's the best way to reach us. Awesome. Well, that's easy enough. We'll put that on our show notes as well, guys. Cashflowguys.com. Tyler, thanks so much for being on The Deal Farm. This was fantastic. Thank you, Ken. All right. Take care. Hey folks, it's Ken again, and I want to talk to you for just a quick second about becoming a private lender with our company, Georgia Residential Partners. If you've got money right now sitting on the sidelines, maybe it's in a bank account earning less than 1%, or maybe it's in the stock market and you're worried about where the stock market is headed, 
you might want to consider becoming a private lender with our company. Where you might be getting 1% to 2% on a CD or a money market account right now, when you become a private lender with us, you're actually well into the double digits in terms of return on investment. Again, if you've got money that's not working for you right now, it's sitting on the sidelines, and you want to get it into investment that's safe, that's passive, and has the opportunity to get you well into the double digits, please reach out to me. You can actually contact us through our website at dealfarm.net. Go to the Contact Us page. It goes right into my inbox, and I will reply and set up a time to talk. Thanks so much for listening to The Deal Farm. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care.